Welcome to Village Church. Really glad to see all y'all here this morning. And thank you to everybody who is online as well, watching or will watch. Um, we thank you for that. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm Wes Spears. I'm the intern here. Um, and uh, it's my joy to welcome y'all and to give you just a couple of announcements. Um, the first thing, though, is uh, our mission here. Uh, we say this most weeks is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify him. And our vision for doing that is to be broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. So that is what we are about. Uh, Just a couple of announcements. Uh, One, uh, as many of you all know, Pastor Alex is on sabbatical. This is his first week out. And so please uh, pray for him, pray for his family as they take uh, initially a three-month sabbatical. So just keep them in your prayers. Uh, and so Amos will be preaching for us this morning. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, we continue with corporate prayer. That's on Wednesdays. Uh, we gather here uh, at the church at 7 p.m. right now. And you can also join via Zoom. Uh, if you're on our, our email and flock note notifications, you get the Zoom link sent out to you each week. So please participate in that if you can, even if you haven't. Still would love for you to, to join us for that. And those are all the announcements I have, Um, so we'll now have some words of preparation, uh, followed by a few minutes of silence. Hear this, Romans 12, uh, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Good morning. If you would please stand for our call to worship today, is taken from the the song "Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee." Please join with me where it denotes congregation. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All your works with joy surround you. Earth and heaven reflect your rays. Stars and angels sing around you, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea. Chanting bird and flowing fountain, 
praising you eternally. Amen. Please bow for a word of prayer. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sea and the fish, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the pathway of Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. You are righteous and just and faithful. And everything you do um, is done well with perfection. You sit high and you look low. And who are we, really, that you consider us? You know the, every, the number of every hair on our heads, and none of them falls without your knowing. So when we sit and think about these things, the fact that we woke up this morning, maybe some of us woke up a little achy, but we were able to get out of the bed, come into this place, wherever we may be, to join together. Lord, none of that happened outside of you. And so when we consider those things, we can just say, wow. Lord, I pray that you would help us be a, a body of believers that won't so quickly rush to the next thing, that we don't stop to consider your goodness, to consider how wonderful you are, how lovely you are, how majestic is your name. I pray that we won't be a, a, a body that forgets that um, we are indeed blessed people, that we are your people, but it's only because of you and the sacrifice of your son. Lord, so we just thank you for this time. How majestic is your name. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. patience so good um next we'll go into a confession of sin uh, and to do that i'll read romans 7 verse 11 for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it it killed me let's take a few more moments of silence
as an assurance of pardon from Jeremiah 33, 8. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. scripture reading today comes from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 27. As I was looking at this verse, I noticed just a few verses before it, at the end of chapter 16, um, that there was a turn. We went from Jesus preaching primarily to the crowds, uh, you know, in parables, to Jesus beginning to really work with his disciples, and we'll see that clearly here in chapter 17. And specifically, he was working with them to make them aware of his death and his suffering. And we see Peter rebuked <laughs> for trying to stop that from happening, and we see Jesus saying, telling them about the cost of discipleship, that it's going to cost uh, his life. We must take up our cross and follow him as well. So that's the setting for our uh, verses today as Jesus begins to speak very plainly to his disciples. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer in their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. 
And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, If you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And they were gathering in Galilee. Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word, how it just continues to touch us and move us and change us, even as we've read read these passages so many times. Thank you for that living word, Father, that can draw us closer to you and help us to not just look over it, but to dig into it with our hearts and our souls and to get to know you better. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who was in the beginning, was with you. He was you. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being, has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but darkness does not understand him. Father, we just thank you for this word who is Jesus that enlightens us, that draws us into his presence through his spirit. God, I thank you for this church and how you have used us and how you are continuing to use us for your glory. Help us to continually look to you for all things. Not to look to these things of the world, but to look to you to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, so many times we feel hopeless. We feel like we're at the end of our rope 
but we know that you are there at the end of the rope, that you have us in the palm of your hands, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. So, Father, draw us into your presence. Show yourself to us as Jesus showed himself to the disciples here in this passage. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Brother DeMarco. You heard me. <laughs> good morning, everybody. All right. It's so good to see y'all this morning. It's so good to be with y'all this morning. Alex Alex left his amen sign. Uh, I, I probably won't. I've never used it. Uh, so please don't make me have to use it today. Yeah, thrilled to stand before you all today and uh, and bring God's word. Uh, I do want to remind you all that uh, Alex is uh, on sabbatical, uh, so continue to keep him and his family uh, in prayer. Pray that uh, the, the that they would be granted rest, that it will be an actual you know sabbatical, and uh, that our God will will come back refreshed. Uh, and uh, and uh, ready to serve uh, the Lord's kingdom uh, through uh, our little body here at the Village Church. So um, the text of Scripture that we uh, will be looking at today uh, is Matthew 17. We're going to look at the uh, entire chapter. Uh, thank you, uh, Richard, for reading that entire chapter for us uh, so eloquently as well. Uh, bringing out some of the details with your with the inflection of your voice, I appreciate that. Uh, reading scripture is it's a gift to be able to read scripture well aloud. Uh, and so, again, thank you for for uh, reading the passage for us today. Uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask Him to bless our time. Father, we thank you uh, that you are good, first of all. So we acknowledge your goodness. We also acknowledge our need for you. Uh, Lord, in this moment, I pray that you would glorify yourself uh, through my words. Uh, Use my words to edify and build up uh, your beloved. Help me in this moment to call your people to faith and repentance and to encourage and to point to you, you who are the author and finisher of our faith. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Who's the master? I can't hear you, Leroy. I said, who is the one and only master? Now, from from the giggles and laughter that uh, I heard from the congregation, uh, some of you know those lines. 
those lines are from the movie The Last Dragon. Uh, and if you don't know those lines, that means you're probably under 30 years old and you could use a lesson in 80s popular culture. But our text today answers the question, who's the master? Who is the one and only master? And I can assure you, my brothers and sisters, it's not show enough. And even though he had the glow, it's not Bruce Leroy either. In Matthew 17, the preeminence of Christ and the supremacy of Christ is on full display. Today, our passage leaves no doubt in our minds that Jesus Christ is the one and only true master. And because Jesus is preeminent above all things, our unity with him makes us free. Because Jesus is preeminent in all things, because he is supreme in all things, our unity with him makes us free. Now, Christ's preeminence is his quality of being above and higher than everything else in existence. Christ's preeminence is closely related to his supremacy. Christ's supremacy is his quality of being the best, the best thing that exists. There is nothing in all of existence, in all of creation, that is greater or better than the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. This is what it says about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Or consider what Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 have to say about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And his is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is in the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Christ might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. My brothers and sister, sisters, there is nothing higher, there is nothing greater, there is nothing more important in all of existence than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only being in existence that has any rights to the claim of preeminence and supremacy. There is no culture, there is no race, there is no ethnicity, and there is no other want-to-be God in all of creation who can lay claim to supremacy. 
It belongs to Christ alone. And because Jesus is preeminent above all things, our unity with him makes us free. Now, our passage today begins with a familiar narrative, a a narrative that is well known by most Christians. It is the transfiguration of Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 17 with me. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, we know this word transfiguration because of you know, popular nomenclature. Uh, but I want to provide you with a brief definition or description of what's happening in the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. So Jesus's transfiguration was a unique display of his divine nature and glory, which he possessed prior to taking on flesh as the God man, Jesus of Nazareth. So when Jesus was transfigured, he was changed. He was transformed in the very presence of his disciples. And to, con- to confirm uh, what is happening in this moment, Matthew's gospel provides us with seven witnesses. Uh, the seven witnesses are Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, God the Father, and John the Baptist. Peter, James, and John are Jesus' disciples who were with him on the mountain. And in verse 3, Moses and Elijah appear before them. In verse 5, God the Father speaks on behalf of Jesus, affirming him as his beloved son. In verses 9 through 13, John the Baptist is the forerunner who the prophet Malachi prophesied would come before the day of the Lord. Now, my brothers and sisters, the significance and richness of what is happening in this passage right now cannot be understated. I want to try to make it as plain for you as I can. Now, the Lord Jesus has just been transfigured in the presence of his disciples. And in Luke's account of the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, It adds the commentary that the disciples were heavy with sleep. It sounds like the disciples, doesn't it? (laughs) So they were heavy with sleep. So imagine that the disciples are waking up from being heavy with sleep. And Jesus is now standing there glowing like Bruce Leroy from The Last Dragon. (laughs) And then out of nowhere... Two of the most significant figures from redemptive history, Moses and Elijah, suddenly appear and they're talking to Jesus, who again is still glowing like Bruce Leroy. Then on top of all of that, the disciples start to hear the audible voice of God the Father speaking while Jesus has the glow And while he's standing there talking to two men who have been dead at this point for hundreds of years. Just imagine it it, it startles me when 
my son Christian runs in the room and wakes me up asking for a chicken nugget. Just imagine Peter waking up. He's clearing the, you know, the fog out of his eyes. And he turns and sees Jesus. And he taps on John and says, yo, this brother is glowing. Just imagine the, the scenario. And, and I've heard tons of sermons where people rail on Peter's response from verse 4. In verse 4, uh, Peter says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, we can acknowledge that Peter was out of line here. Uh, we know that, that, that Peter was out of step even because of Luke's account, again, of the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verse 33, which adds the commentary that Peter didn't even understand the implications of what he said. Also, God the Father just interrupted what Peter was saying. He just interjected in the middle of what Peter just cut him off completely. Uh, but I want us to have a little bit more more grace and understanding with Peter than I have observed from others. Because in reality, we don't know what to say or how to behave when we meet a B-list celebrity. Peter was in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was shining with the radiance of his eternal glory. And he was seeing two of the most pivotal figures from redemptive history. So my brothers and sisters, don't get it twisted. Your response would have been the same. You are Peter in this passage. That's why he's there. That's why Peter and the disciples are in this passage. He is our representative in this scenario. So just understand, whenever you see Peter or the other disciples screwing up in this passage, it is meant to represent us and how we need Jesus to make it right. How we need Jesus to make us right. And so Moses and Elijah, here in our passage, their appearance represents the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, the law and the prophets would have represented the entirety of what we know as the Old Testament. We sometimes uh, hear this uh, or see this as the law, the prophets, and the writings. Uh, but uh, the appearance of Moses and Elijah is bearing witness to the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Although Moses and Elijah are important to redemptive history, Jesus surpasses them in significance and glory. Let's look at verses number six through verse number eight. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Uh, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise. And have no fear. And they lifted up their eyes and saw no one but Jesus only. But Jesus only. Do you see what has happened here? When it's all said and done, only Jesus is there. This further solidifies Jesus' preeminence it is only jesus who is left standing there because matthew 5:17 tells us that he is the fulfillment of the law 
He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7 that in Christ we have died to the law and it no longer binds us. So because the Lord Jesus is the only one left standing there, we are free to not have to perform for Christ. He performs on our behalf and says to us, rise and have no fear. Now, after all of this, in verse number nine, Jesus commands his disciples not to tell anyone what happened. Now, this must have surprised them because they asked a question in verse number 10. Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So the disciples saw the appearance of Elijah on the mountain as as a fulfillment of the writings of the scribes. And Jesus affirms them in verses 11 and 12 that they are correct that Elijah does come first, but Elijah had already come. But nobody recognized him. He wasn't recognized and he was killed. And so Jesus, by saying this also, foreshadows his own suffering in verse number 12 where he says so also as they treated the Elijah who came before so also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands and once Jesus had said this his disciples understood that he was talking about John the Baptist so John the Baptist was that Elijah figure who would precede Christ, which further solidifies Christ's supremacy because John points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our passage, in the, in the book of Matthew, uh, in, just in the Bible as a whole, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is no stranger to miracles. And our next uh, group of verses here demonstrate uh, how Jesus, how his his Uh, supremacy and his preeminence give him authority over the kingdom of darkness and over death in verses 14 through 18 uh, jesus is brought a a boy who is uh, possessed with a demon and the demon is manifesting itself in epileptic episodes Uh, verse 14 starts And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now, again, uh, this is uh, going to display the preeminence of Christ over the kingdom of darkness. Jesus rebukes the demon and he heals the boy instantly. Now, this is nothing new to Jesus because he has done things like this throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, But Jesus adds some commentary in verse number 17. In verse 17, Jesus says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? He calls them faithless and twisted 
because they have not understood Jesus's true purpose. Despite all of Jesus's preaching and proclamation of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, they still maintain a warped understanding of Jesus and his purpose. Now, in verses 19 and 20, the disciples go to Jesus privately, wondering why they couldn't cast out the demon. Now, earlier in Matthew 10, Jesus gave the disciples authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal all manner of diseases. But for some reason, it just wasn't working this time. And in verse 20, Jesus tells them that they could not cast out the demon because of their little faith. We've seen this language of little faith before in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 8, when Jesus rebukes the winds and the waves out on the sea. And also in Matthew 14, when Peter sank after walking on the water. Now, Little faith is not the absence of faith, but it is a poverty of faith. It is faith that is lacking. But again, can can you see what happens in this paragraph here, verses 14 through 20? Can you see the preeminence of Christ again on display? Because once again, Jesus comes through with the save. Jesus does what the disciples could not do on their behalf. And in verse 20, Jesus encourages their faith by showing that all it takes is the size, is faith the size of a grain of mustard seed to move mountains. Now, this is possible only because Jesus is the divine mover. Jesus moves the mountain we place our faith in him and he moves on our behalf now real quick uh, i do want to acknowledge something that some of you might see in your bibles Uh, in some of your bibles uh, verse 21 might be missing this is not an error or an oversight Uh, But it is a decision uh, that was made by the translators and editors of your particular uh, Bible translation because some of the older New Testament manuscripts did not include a verse 21. But I want to tell you, although the text is omitted, we do find that passage, that biblical text in another place in Scripture. So it's not something that is added to taint the biblical text or to alter the biblical text. The text reads, but this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. We find a similar quotation on the lips of Jesus in Mark 9, verse 29. So my brothers and sisters, if you have a particular translation that omits verse 21, I want you to know that you can have full faith that what you hold in your hands is true and it is the word of God. So I just want to mention that really quickly, just in case anyone had a translation where that verse is omitted. Now, in verses 22 through 23, Jesus demonstrates again his preeminence by foretelling his death and his resurrection. 
Now, the resurrection is a pivotal fact of the Christian faith. If the resurrection is not true, we are most to be pitied. But it is true. Now, I want us to realize something in light of verses 22 and 23 in our passage. Verse 22 begins, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. What I want us to realize and recognize from these two verses is that Jesus conquered death at Calvary because he already had authority over death. Jesus didn't gain power over death in the resurrection. He already had it. If you don't believe me, I got Bible. In Mark 5, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. In Luke 7, Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead. In John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead with the comment, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And last but not least, John 10, 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is preeminent and he has power over evil and sin and death. This is the God who you and I worship. I want you all to catch this. We spend a lot of time telling God about our problems, rightly so, because the Bible tells us, cast our cares upon him. So I want to encourage you in this moment, go to the Lord Jesus, go to him, run to him. But while we spend time telling God about our problems, how about we spend a little bit of time telling our problems about our God? Because he got it like that. Our passage continues in verses 24 through 27. And this is the portion of the passage which demonstrates our freedom. The freedom that is provided by our unity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take. Oh, excuse me. It's not the right verse. (laughs) Verse 24 of 17. I was reading chapter 16. 24 of chapter 17. When they came to Capernaum. The collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, 
go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, our last four verses, again, demonstrate the freedom that we have been granted as sons and daughters because Christ is the preeminent Lord of all. Jesus once again steps in where Peter needed him and gives Peter what I call miracle money. <laughs> it's miracle money. This just blows my mind. Think about it. Think about it for a second. Jesus either miraculously caused the fish to generate money in its mouth or he providentially ordained a fish to swallow money just for this moment. Either way, it's mind-blowing. Either way, it's miraculous. And it demonstrates Christ's preeminence and power. But these verses also show us the freedom that Jesus provides to his children. Those tax collectors uh, from verse 24, they hemmed Peter up. Worse than the IRS. I'm scared of two, two in, in my entire, I'm scared of two things. My mama and the IRS. I don't want no problems with either one of them. But the tax collectors him Peter up and they tried to get some money out of him for the temple tax. But the deeper meaning here is that Jesus pays the price. And it's because Jesus pays the price, we are free from having to perform. We are free from having to perform the duties of the old covenant from Old Testament laws. They are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are free from the law of sin. We are free from death. And we are free to live into the freedom that has been provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, my encouragement for you today is to live in freedom. Live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, knowing that the preeminent Lord has paid the price for your freedom at Calvary. Live with faith that you are no longer a, a slave to sin, but you are a child of righteousness. This is the freedom that we have in Christ, who is our preeminent Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for... the sufficiency, the supremacy, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ whom you sent as our propitiation, as our go-between, as our mediator. Lord, we thank you that we can place our faith in Christ We can be loved and we can be a part of a family, a part of redemptive history, a part of a, a global family, a part of a historic family because of the freedom that you provide to us. We thank you for what you've done, what you did for us took on flesh, Lord Jesus. You lived a perfectly sinless life on our behalf. You died and rose again 
And Lord, I pray that uh, if anyone hears this prayer who has not placed faith in you, that you would begin the work of regeneration in their heart, that they would be granted faith and repentance. And Lord, we look forward to the day that we will experience our freedom in your presence, full in the fullness of your presence. Where we will get to see our blood of Christ relatives from the beginning of time to the end of time. And we will celebrate the glory of the triune God forever and ever. This is our prayer. And we do pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, y'all please stand for the Lord's benediction to his beloved people. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you.